People raise their hand. Is there anyone that has a testimony tonight? I just want to hear one testimony tonight. Nobody, all you people raise your hand and nobody's got a testimony. <laughs> Gloria, yeah, I just, I just sense it was somebody else. Yes, yeah, nothing personal. I just, come, here, come on. Come on up here. Come on up here. It's okay. doesn't bite. I won't bite you. No just tell them who you are and just go ahead and share. Um, hello, church. Uh, my name is James. Um, earlier this week, uh, I was a little bit uh, a bit fearful of, of my job because I made a mistake Saturday. I had driven a brand-new Subaru. Um, I do trains. I, I take uh, brand-new cars off of trains where I work in uh, Kwanzaa Point. And I drove a brand-new Subaru off a train without any plates. Yes. So I was a little bit fearful about it. I've been thinking about it ever since the incident. And uh, come Monday, I thought about it and I said, you know, I can't think about this in the negative. I, you know, I'm, I'm a child of God for one. And for two, you know what? He's got our backs. So mm-hmm. I kept thinking that way. And at the end of the day, all it became was a written warning instead of a firing, like I first thought. A brand new Subaru off a train. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Definitely. He, was, uh, he does have your back. Yes, he does. God Absolutely. bless you. Thank you, James. Thank you. <laughs> Praise God. One more. All right, Gloria. All right. I, come on. <laughs> Praise God. You can stay down there if you want. <laughs> it has been a... It has been a uh, a, a week to praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. Um, I had an incident at my house, and I'm on a, a, a slab, a ranch, and I had uh, pipes that run under. Used to be radiant heat that comes up from mm-hmm. the floor. And uh, um I had a a furnace cleaning, and my furnace was sounding funny. And so I called the guy back out, and we discovered that there was a leak in one of the pipes underneath the floor. And I'm just thankful that God revealed it when he did, because if I went on vacation, which I will be going on the end of the month, I would have never known that those pipes were leaking. So uh, it could have ruined the whole house. The whole house could have been mm-hmm. flooded. Mm-hmm. But I got the warning. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, the Lord had put extra, a few extra thousands of dollars in my bank account. Mm. <laughs> so it took care of the expense as well. Mm. Praise the Lord. <laughs> See, God works in every area of your life. I mean, I've been in, I didn't drive a Subaru off without a license, but I've done, I've made a mistake on not this job. I probably made one here too, but I've made a mistake uh, and I've shared the testimony with you and God showed me when you walk in truth, when you don't panic and try to take things into your own hands, God will deliver you. And, and it may not be when you, but you just trust him. And that's what God, God did for you. And he will. He'll take care of things ahead of time because you're his child. As long as we trust him and stay steady. Because I think what happens sometimes is we panic, take things in our own hand, run around like a chicken with a head cut off, and say all the things we shouldn't be saying and do things we shouldn't be doing. And God's just standing there saying, I, I had you covered, but you didn't stay still long enough for me to cover you. You ran off in panic and got wet and stubbed your toe and bloodied your knee. And when you come back to me, he says, I'll, I'll take care of you because he loves you. He doesn't quit on you. Isn't that good? He doesn't quit on you. He doesn't quit on you. You know what that means? We shouldn't quit on each other. Ooh. I better get into the message. I feel meddling coming on there, so I better not. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and celebrate. Father, these testimonies too that we heard tonight and all the others that raised their hand and all the things that you're doing in our lives in various ways, Father, 
Some of us have testimonies we don't know yet because you're already doing things that we didn't realize you're doing yet. And we've been so busy looking at the circumstances we didn't realize that you were leading us out of them. And so we lift our eyes tonight off of ourselves and we put our eyes upon your word and upon you and upon your faithfulness, Father, and we expect great things tonight because of your word and because of the presence of your spirit. We just want your will to be done in our lives and your kingdom to come. And so we come to yield to you tonight. And Father, we just trust you tonight. I trust you to guide by your spirit what you would say and want to do, what you want to say and what you want to do in this place and in our lives this night. And we thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to continue. It's been a few weeks since I've been here in the pulpit on a Wednesday night. I appreciate Pastor Ray filling in for me two weeks ago, and Kurt did quite a job last week, didn't he? Praise God. And uh, we're really blessed around here with the different giftings that God's put in this church. Praise the Lord. We're going to continue our study now in spiritual warfare. Anybody in any kind of warfare? <laughs> You've got to be half dead or asleep to not realize there's stuff going on. I had a, got a phone call from Mary Ann Brown before we came over, and she was just talking about everywhere she goes, there's just pressure, just pressure. You know what? That excites me because if the enemy's putting this much pressure on now, the end must be near. The victory must be close. Because the closer you get to the, the end, the closer you get to the breakthrough, the, the, the victory, the more pressure he puts on because he's trying to get you to do what? Quit. He's trying to get you to do what? Quit. And we're not going to quit. Praise God. So we're studying spiritual warfare here because Paul puts this at the end of this incredible book that he wrote to the church at, the, at, at Ephesus. Starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Be strong in who? Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in who? And the power of whose might? His might. Be strong in the Lord. And the power. I know that, but yeah, but do we? Be strong in the Lord. Well, I'm just feeling so weak. Praise God. He never tell you to be strong in your strength. He said, He's not weak. He's not weak. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and will shall not faint. They that wait upon the Lord. Maybe we need to wait on Him more. See, oh, that's good. I mean, that, that word wait has a number of different meanings. But, but one of them is we run off too fast. Need to wait for Him. <laughs> Praise God. All right. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the tricks, the deceits of the devil. We've talked about the fact that we have the power of God on our side and all the devil has is deceit and trickery. But he's good at it and we're good at letting him do it. But we're changing, we're learning, we're renewing our mind. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Look to your left, look to your right. You don't wrestle against them. (laughs) It's not your boss, it's not your person sitting next to you at work. It's not, your, your, not your, your mother-in-law, your father-in-law. It's not your family. It's not your neighbor. It's not your you know, boss. It, it's, not, it's not a person. He may be using those people, but it's not them. He wants you fighting the people because then you're not fighting with spiritual weapons. The Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not on the flesh. So when we're fighting against flesh, we fight with our flesh. But the battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual forces. And for that, we have spiritual weapons. But if he can get you fighting people, you're going to fight with your flesh and not the spiritual weapons that God has provided. And you may think you've won, but spiritually you will have lost. All right. But we can't dwell there tonight. But we fight against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, because of that, take up the whole armor of God. And that's what we're learning about, that you may be able to withstand or stand in the evil day. I think we're in it. And having done all, having done everything you're supposed to do, to remain standing. Stand, therefore, now we're going to look at the different pieces of this armor. Having girded your waist or put around your waist, the, which is called the belt of truth. And we talked about each one of these pieces of armor really is part of God's character. So really what we're doing is we're putting Him on. And when you put Him on, that means you act like Him. 
And we can act like Him because we're His children. We can act like Him because He's put His nature inside of us. So really all Paul's saying is act like who you are. Act like who you are. And who we are is like Him. Now religion, and there are denominations out there and wonderful people and institutions that may love God, but they'll tell you that you can't act like God. But that's what the Scriptures tells us we're supposed to do. What does it mean when it says we're put Christ on? That's not a sweatshirt. It's not a sweatshirt that says, I love Jesus. It's not a Bible cover that says Jesus is Lord. It means to act like Him, talk like Him, think like Him. And you know, Jesus didn't back down to the devil. Jesus didn't cower under difficult circumstances. Jesus wasn't moved when people got upset at Him. In fact, when they tried to kill him and throw him off the cliff, that didn't move him either, and he didn't get thrown off the cliff either. He just walked through the crowd. How could he do that? Because he didn't react in his flesh. See, we get into a jam and we react in our flesh, and what happens is we're now fighting with weapons of the flesh. When God's told us he's given us his armor, his weapons to put on, And His weapons win. And so that's what we're learning about. And the first one we found out is truth. Above all things, we must walk in truth with God, but also especially with ourselves. And James just gave us a good example of that. When something goes wrong, and our our instinct, our human, natural, fleshly instinct is to protect ourselves by kind of fudging it a little. Characterizing what we did in the best possible light. It's called lying. (laughs) Imagine yourself standing before God explaining it that way. And so, but when we walk in truth, now we're walking in God's nature and God's able to come in and was this wonderful testimony you just heard, come behind us and cover us. Because you're his child, he'll cover you, but he can't cover you if you step outside of him. I'm not talking about not going to heaven. I mean, step outside of his character. When you try to... See, that's what Adam did. He tried to handle his sin by his own method of protection, which was to cover up. And man's been doing that ever since. But we're not mere men. We're to act like God does. And he walks in truth. Then we spent a number of weeks looking at the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate covers your vital organs, your heart especially. And we've talked about it from two points of view. One point of view is walking in righteousness. You don't hear a lot about that. But that means just doing what's right in God's sight. Not because you're under some law to do it, but because you love God and you're one with Him. And because it's the right thing to do, to live in a way that pleases Him to live in a way that pleases Him. More and more, I'm running across cases. My wife and I ran across one today where where we've got so-called Christians that are a man and a wife living together outside of the covenant of marriage and just think they don't see what's wrong with that. Because our society doesn't see what's wrong with that. That's not living right before God. Marriage is a blood covenant. And if we, we will go into it on a Sunday coming up. We're going to go through Malachi. And you'll see that, that God, the reason God hates divorce, and I'm not, no condemnation if you've been divorced, I'm not talking about that. <clears throat> but the reason God lifts up marriage and calls marriage sacred is because it is a covenant before God. It's a covenant that we make with each other before God. And covenant is sacred to God. That's what our salvation is based on, a blood covenant with God. And when we, when we enter into a physical relationship with somebody either of the other sex or of the same sex, or we enter into one outside of, outside of marriage and the way God defines marriage, which is a male and a female, that's how God defines marriage. The government can try to change it all they want, but they're not convincing God. And all I know is I don't have to stand before the General Assembly of Rhode Island. I don't have to stand before Governor Chasey, but I'm going to have to stand before Almighty God. And I'd rather do what pleases him than what pleases them. In fact, they're going to have to stand before him too. So, I don't want to get off on that sidetrack. 
But the point is it's living right before God. The other aspect of it is that this, because this is, a, this is a weapon, this is a, a part of the armor, is to realize that, if, that you may be living right before God, but the devil wants to condemn you. So it's learning how to discern the difference. And we went through and we've studied the difference between condemnation and conviction. And it's so important to know that difference. Now we're going to go on to the next piece that the Bible talks about. So verse 15 now says, And having shod, that means put on, your feet, the preparation of the gospel of peace. And we're going to take some time and take that apart. Having put on your feet, having shod your feet, put on your feet, the preparation of the gospel of peace. There's three aspects to that. It's putting something on your feet. What you're putting on is the preparation of the gospel of peace. And I spent some time, I've read all kinds of things about this. And the word, you know, I spent a bit of time going into the word preparation. Because there is one, one, uh, Greek study I read said that one of the aspects of this meaning means foundation. But most of the others just say the, mean, basic, the word basically means to be ready, to be prepared. There's an aspect of which it talks about being ready to stand before God. There's an aspect in which the word is used to be ready when, when Jesus comes back. We're to be ready. And the, 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 the parable of the, of the virgins with the oil in their lamp talks about being ready for his return, being ready. And the oil in their lamp refers to the, the Holy Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit being filled with him, being ready for him to come back. And, and so there's a word ready. It also talks in some context about being ready, ready to, 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 to go launch into some project. So the word basically means to be prepared and ready. But as I was meditating on this, it really came to me just before the service, and I believe all that's true. I believe that, that, that I've read uh, commentaries that say this means that, you know, be, to be ready to share the gospel. And obviously we're supposed to share the gospel. That's one of the main reasons that we're still here. And I believe that's true. That is part of, uh, clearly what is part of what's what we're to do is the Great Commission. But the context here. And it's always important to understand the context of what's being said here. He's talking about pieces of armor for a battle. So what hit me really just before I came out here is what I believe this is talking about is this is something that we are to put on so that we're prepared for the battle. Because the breastplate to prepare you for the battle. The truth is to prepare you for the battle. The helmet that we're going to study is to prepare you for the battle. The shield is clearly to prepare you for battle. The sword is to prepare you for a battle. Why wouldn't the shoes be part of the preparation for the battle? And so I believe that's what it's talking about. <clears throat> now why does it talk? Because it's talking about different parts of your body. It talks about your waist for the truth talks about your heart or your chest for righteousness because that's where the, the enemy can get in there. What in the world do your feet have to do with it? Well, it's kind of hard to stand because isn't that what he's telling us to do? Having done all to stand. What part of your body do you use to stand? Your feet. Uh, this is a little pet peeve of mine. This is kind of a little aside. It's not in the Word of God. but is, is this expression people say, would you please stand to your feet? And I thought about, what else am I going to stand to? <laughs> now, the other night, Wednesday night, I saw one of the young people. I guess they'd had a bunch of candy because they were doing handstands in the foyer. Now, with them, you might need to say, you know, you need to stand to your feet because if you don't specify, they may do a handstand. But I suspect the vast majority of us, when we stand up, we're assuming we're going to stand on our feet. Now those little things, you know, it's one, I, I want, don't want to get off on this too much. Another one of mine that the staff knows is, you know, well, you know, uh, uh, well, to tell you the truth, well, I'm assuming you're always going to tell me the truth. <laughs> so if you've got to tell me when you're telling me the truth, that raises some questions about the rest of the time when you don't mention that. Aren't you glad you don't all work for me? <laughs> I'll get you straightened out. <laughs> I was raised in a family that we corrected. But you know what? This is a side path. But, it, but those little things have to do with how you think. They have to do with how you think. 
And when we're careless with our words, we're careless with our thoughts. Well, we won't go there tonight. Let's get back on the subject because <laughs> we don't want to lose our peace over this. <laughs> so he's talking, I believe the context here, he's talking about part of the armor to prepare us to stand, to stand in this warfare. And, and I know one of the things that an athlete has to take care of is their feet. may seem like a small part of you, but if you've ever had trouble with your feet and you have to do anything where you're using them for long, you become very much aware of them. It just, you know, ladies, I know, you know, and it can happen to men too, but, you know, if you've been working on your feet all day, the first thing you want to do is what? Take those shoes off. My goodness, you know, they're hurting my feet. Why? Because you became conscious of your feet. And the more conscious you are of your feet, the more distracting they were to you, and especially if they're hurting. Now, in days of battle, the armor that they used would cover their feet. The bronze would not only go down over their shins, they were called sheaves. They would go down over their sheaves, but they would curl out and cover the top of their feet. Because if they were stabbed with an arrow in their foot, I don't care what, you know, again, it's just as you're vulnerable now. If your feet are injured or hurt, therefore you cannot stand. Now notice what he ties with your feet. This part of the armor is called peace. We're talking about the goal here is in the battle that's come against you is to stand strong. The breastplate of righteousness protects your heart so that the weapons of Satan cannot get into your heart and discourage you or offend you or basically, as we've talked about, poison your heart. Because if they do, you become dis. Hearted. You, become, you become discouraged and you want to set down the rest of your weapons. If you stop walking in truth, you stop walking in God's character and you start walking in the enemy's character. You put your defenses down. So if you're not doing that, if you're walking in truth, If he can't get into your heart, the next thing he wants to do is make it hard for you to stand even though your heart's protected and you're walking in truth. So what he's going to go after is what you stand on, which is your foundation. And your foundation for whatever battle is peace. I was talking with somebody before the service that's having problem in their house, not within the house, neighbors, to the point that they've have to, they can't even sleep in the house at night. Now, you know, it's one thing to, work, to deal with stress at work and to deal with stress going to work and coming home, but if you don't have a place, a base in your life where there's peace, it makes it very hard to fight the rest of the battle because you can't get rest. You have no place you can go back to where there's peace. So we're going to look at peace, P-E-A-C-E. We're going to look at it a little bit in the Old Testament. We're going to look at what it is, and then we're going to look at what it means that the preparation, the covering of your feet, the foundation in your life on which you stand is the gospel of peace. But I want to talk about what peace is, first of all, and how peace is used in the Bible. Because we need to understand that's what, we're, that's what he's after. He's after your peace. He's after your tranquility. Why? Because if he can steal your peace, then it gets hard to stand. It's like undermining your foundation. So what is peace? Well, The word peace in the Old Testament is shalom. It's used over 250 times in the Old Testament, but the word has a meaning that's beyond just peace. 
See, peace can mean, and we'll see this in the New Testament, peace sometimes means, you know, peace be with you. It's a nice greeting. It's like, you know, bless you when you sneeze. It's like, it's like you know, people say, I love you. It's, you know, these are words we use without thinking of what we really mean behind it. You know, and, and peace. You know, peace be with you. I don't know that some of you came out of churches where people greeted each other. Peace be with you. And Paul, most of, many of his letters are, start out with grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Grace and peace unto you. And we'll see when we get into the New Testament, one of the uses of that word is as a greeting. But let me read to you some of what the word shalom means. This is just some of what it means. It's a very broad meaning. It means completeness. Completeness. It means wholeness, peace. It means health. It means welfare. I don't mean the government paying you weekly. It means having your fare being well. It means safety. It means soundness. It means tranquility. You're going to like the next one. It means prosperity. It means perfectness or completeness. It means fullness. It means rest. It means harmony. It means the absence of agitation or discord. Shalom comes from the the root verb shalom, which has a meaning to be complete, perfect, and full. So it's much more than just the absence of strife or warfare. The word occurs about 250 times in the Old Testament. The Bible says that God takes delight in the shalom, the wholeness, the total well-being of His servants. So the word peace in the Old Testament means wholeness, completeness, blessing. And as I studied this word out, what I realized is peace is an essential part of God's character. It's an essential part of God's character. In other words, well, that fits in with our study because our study says the armor of God is just His nature. And His nature is peace. When He created this, the heavens and the earth, they were at peace. Heaven was at peace until Lucifer decided to stand up and challenge God's authority in heaven and challenge the place that was rightly assigned for the second person of the Godhead who, when he came to earth, became Jesus. Sin in heaven attempted to break the peace of God, the natural state of things. The way God made them is peace. The natural state of things, the way God made them, is wholeness. God does not make anything incomplete. God does not make anything that's not whole and complete. Oh, you're not hearing me. Who made you? That means if there's something in your life your physical body, your emotional condition, your spiritual condition, that's not whole, that did not come from God. James chapter 1 says, Every good and perfect gift. The word perfect there means complete or whole. Comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Oops is not in God's vocabulary. I heard heard this, I don't remember who I was, I heard it from. It says, you know, when they're just beginning to put you out or suppose you're you're in surgery and, you know, you're awake and they've got part of you blocked. Hearing the word oops from the surgeon is not good. 
or oh shoot, I, you know, that's not your, oh, let's go back. What was the oops about? Oops is not in God's vocabulary. His nature is, he cannot do anything or create anything that's not whole or perfect. Now, we can do things with it that undermine that wholeness. And that's exactly what sin is intended to do. That wholeness of God's nature includes not only His being and what He creates, it includes the atmosphere around Him. Understand this. The atmosphere around God emanates from who He is. See, the the atmosphere in your home comes from what you do in your home. But you can't change the atmosphere around God. You can't bring strife into heaven. It can't exist there. Because God is love. That's why sin, people, sinners can't get into heaven because you can't get it in there. And if the sin is in you, you can't get in there with it. So you got to leave the sin outside. Now, my mother wasn't particularly like this, but some of you may have had mothers that says, you know, if there's dirt on your shoes, leave your shoes outside. The dirt's not coming in here. I just swept the carpets. Well, that's a little picture of what heaven's like. Because it can't, because God's nature is wholeness. It is peace. He is shalom. It is His character and His nature. And I'm going, laying this foundation so that you understand that peace is not an emotion. But we understand because out of this comes an understanding of why the enemy wants to use strife, why the enemy wants to divide, because division is to try to separate something that God's made whole. We're going to see later on in Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul says, preserve the unity of the Spirit. Not get it, not obtain the unity, but preserve the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of God, so He is the Spirit of peace. He is the Spirit of wholeness. He is the Spirit of unity. The body of Christ is one, but the devil's working hard to create disunity, to create separation, because wherever he creates separation, that's not God anymore, because God is Wholeness. Peace sounds like it's like it's almost as if we think that, that you know darkness is the absence of light, but darkness is not a force. Darkness has no natural darkness, you know, has no power. It's the result of when power's turned off. And some of you had an example of that recently. And you've heard me use this example before. When we go to, I go to bed at night, I don't go around and turn off the light switch and turn on the dark switch. I don't need to turn on a dark switch because there's no power of darkness. I mean, there's a power in, in the natural. It's the absence of light. But if you define peace as the absence of strife, you almost get the same impression that there's no power in peace, that it's kind of a passive thing. I'm getting this as we're going. This is not anything I studied out. This is hot off the press, to me at least. You may have heard this before, but I've never heard this before. All I know when I was studying day, when went off in me was I saw that peace is God's nature. And there's nothing that's his nature that is not power. God's the source of things. I know that's, just bear with me a little bit. Because we're not, we're not the source of anything. You may think you are, but you're not. You may be a vehicle through which God's working or Satan's work, but you're not the source of anything. You can't create anything. 
Satan can't create anything. I'll prove that to you. Because Jesus said he is a liar and the father of lies. And there is no, no truth in him. If he could create something, then that would be a truth. All he can do is spoil something that God's created. And that doesn't take much at all. A monkey, blind and aged, can ruin a masterpiece that Michelangelo painted. But that doesn't mean that monkey has the same power and ability that Michelangelo had. See, that's why the devil's got to use schemes, because he doesn't have the power. Now, he's got authority in the earth, but even that didn't come from him. He tricked Adam into taking the authority God gave him and giving it to, to Satan. But that's what Jesus came back for. He came back to buy it back with his precious blood, and then he turned and gave it to the church. And who is the church? It's us. So we have the authority. That's why the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, you've been transferred out of the domain, the authority of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. But he left you here so that you exercise that authority because the Bible says that Jesus is now seated at the right hand because his part of the work's done, but he's seated there until his enemies are made his footstool. Whose job is that? That's the rest of the church. It's the foot foot of the body. It's the body's job to win this victory here. And the devil's done a good job of convincing the church we're supposed to just to hang on until he comes back or we go to heaven, whichever comes first. And our goal is to hope we survive and just hold on. He wants you to have that image. I'll talk to people and say, well, I'm just holding on. I said, don't say that. If you are, make him think you're climbing. (laughs) Don't hold on. God's not holding on. Jesus isn't holding on, and you're his body. So peace is God's character. It's his nature. And when he made this earth, he made it in peace. The garden was a place of tremendous peace and blessing. Everything I just read in here under the definition of shalom was how you could describe the garden. It was a place of blessing. It was a place of peace. It was a special place. Concentrated. The rest of the place was peaceful, but this is a special place where he put his man to enjoy it. And that's what the enemy came in to try to steal and to destroy and how did he do it? To create, by creating division, separation. And so we see that peace is, is, is wholeness. It's completeness. And that's what God has made. I want to give you some scriptures that talk about uh, God, that peace is, just give you references that is part of God's character. His nature is peace. John fourteen twenty seven. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Oh, but you don't understand. You don't understand what I'm dealing with. I can't help it. No, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled be troubled. See, we've been raised with the lie that you, that you, you know, it's just natural to be afraid. It's natural to worry. In fact, there are some people think that if they're not worrying, they're not doing their job. But worry is trusting in the devil. Worry is unbelief. I'm going to say that again because that went over really big. Read Matthew 6. Jesus said that when you worry, you've raised something in your heart above Him. 
Because what he says in there, don't you know your father knows what you need before you ask? If he takes care of the lilies of the field that grow up today and the sun comes out and they're scorched and they're burned up tomorrow, if he feeds the birds of the air, how, there we go from Sunday, how much more will he not take care of you, O you of little faith? So what are we to do then? Seek ye first, priority of your heart, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things you need will be added unto you. God's not saying, make this terrible sacrifice, put me first and starve to death, go without clothes, your kids go to school with holes in their shoes, you don't have a place to live yet because that's being humble and right. No, it didn't say that at all. He said, everything you need in abundance will be added unto you. Isn't that wholeness? Isn't that his nature and his character? The problem is we seek those things first. So when we worry about those things, we're seeking those things above him. Because we're saying, I don't think you're going to come through for me, so i got to take it into my own hands and take care of it myself because I don't trust you're going to do it. I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening. But my Bible tells us we're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight. Walk by does not mean have an occasional experience with. It doesn't mean pull it off the shelf when you're in trouble. It means we live, the just shall live by faith. And we've got to learn as the church to live and walk by faith. And I'm talking to me as much as you. We've got to learn it's a way of life, not something we pull off a shelf when we get in trouble and we, oh, I've got, and I have this thought sometimes when you ever, you know, because the enemy will stack one thing up after another and he'll bring him in on you all at once. It's like truckloads lined up at the receiving dock. Just don't open the receiving door and you'll be all set. But we'll learn about that later. And you know, they just truck after truck is lined up to dump his garbage in your life. And you get worn down with that. And so, you know, you just had one victory and another one comes along and says, oh, I've got to use my faith again. Faith is a way of life. When that's my attitude, and I've had to deal with that then I'm using, because I don't want to rely on faith, I'd rather rely on what I see until I really get in trouble. And church, we've got to get out of that, all of us. Because we're coming into a time when you're not going to be able to rely on what you can see. Because you're not going to like what you see. In fact, let me say this. I can say it to you because God said it to me. If you're, if you're finding yourself walking around discouraged with your head hanging down, you know, just wondering what, you know, I don't know how we're going to make it, then I'll tell you this, you've been walking by sight and not by faith. Because there's nothing in this word that says you have to be concerned or afraid or you're going to fail. So that means I'm not walking by looking at the Word. I'm walking by what my eyes see, my ears hear, and my mind thinks. And then occasionally, when I realize that, I pull out of that and I say, oh, i got to get into the Word. We should walk by this. Live by this. This is a way of life. And we've been, well, I was going to say fortunate, but we haven't been. We've really been tricked because we've had it so easy we've not had to. I can tell you the places I visit on the mission field, they don't use their faith occasionally. They use it to eat. I mean literally to have food. To survive. I've talked to a couple. My wife and I were with a couple down there that went through a hurricane where the eye of the hurricane went right over their house. But their house was literally a stick house. I mean, sticks in the ground tied together and it had a tin roof and the tin roof was held on by a pole. And in the middle of this hurricane, that tin roof starts spinning in 140 mile an hour winds. I don't know how fast it's... And they're hiding down with their head just under it for four or five hours praying that their heads aren't taken off. While they did that, their baby slept through the whole thing. See, that's peace. In the middle 
of a hurricane with 140 mile an hour winds, this baby's asleep. Why? Because the baby trusts their parents. Isaiah 26.3 Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. The reason the enemy's after your peace is because if he, takes, if he gets you to give up your peace then it's hard to stand. It's hard to stand. It's hard to discern. It's hard to, it's hard to discern God's leading and direction in a storm. It's hard to discern it when all you're after is to survive and get your peace back. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world... You have tribulations. Why are we so shocked then? Why are we so shocked that there's trouble out there coming at us when Jesus promised it? He also promised at one point, if you live righteously before him, you'll have tribulation. He said, they tribulated me, they'll tribulate you. It's a sign you're like him. Now, if you're tribulating because you did something wrong, that's not his tribulation. That's not the tribulation. Oh, I'm being so persecuted. The bill collectors are calling me every day. I'm being persecuted. Why? Well, I ran up a huge bill on my credit card. I'm being, no, you did something you shouldn't have done. Now, there may be reasons why you got into it. God's grace will get you out of it when you face it. He'll get, you mean, I found out Sometimes he doesn't get you out quite as fast as you'd like. And the reason is, because I had that happen once. I made some bad decisions. And it wasn't huge debt, but I got into more debt than I ever wanted to be in my life and, or ever want to be in again. And, and he got me out of it. I mean, God got us completely out of debt. It just took 18 months. Some of it's taken longer. That 18 months was long enough for me to sit in it and realize I don't want to ever go back to that place again. Peace. Peace. In this world you have tribulation. But fear not, I have overcome the world. My peace. My peace. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 33. Now the peace of God, God's peace, be with you. Amen. Romans 16, 20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. One of my favorites, 1 Corinthians 14, 33. For God is not the author of confusion. If you're confused, know one thing. God didn't bring the confusion. Confusion is always when you're caught between two or more things and you don't know which is right. So what do you do? Don't stop going back and forth. You've got to go to what you do know. Go to what you do know. Well, what I know is God's not the author of this confusion. So something, one of these choices, isn't God. I was in, in prayer last night. Oh, I got to end. In prayer last night here, it was just all by the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and one of the things the Lord showed me at the end is He said, He, uh, he said that, that uh, and I just lost it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. For, oh, yes. I heard this word certainty. God wants you certain. Uncertainty does not come from God, it weakens your foundation. It brings doubt in. Uncertainty does not come from God. It brings confusion. 
The whole book of 1 John is written that you might know. The gospel of John. He says, out of all the things, if I wrote all the things that Jesus did, the books, the world couldn't contain the books. But out of all these things, I have chosen these things so that you might know that he's the, 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 the son of God and that in him you have eternal life. God wants you to know things with a certainty. He wants you to know whether you're saved or not. He wants you to know whether you're going to heaven or not. He wants you to know whether he's going to answer your prayers. He wants you to know. So uncertainty means Satan's talking to you and he's trying to undermine your peace. One of the things peace comes from is certainty. I know where I stand before God. I know that God will take care of me. I know, that God, I know, I know God's got my back covered. I know I can rest in him. That brings peace. This little baby slept because they knew that mommy and daddy had it covered, even though they had no idea how it was going to happen. Peace. Peace. God's not the author of confusion. Galatians 5.22, it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so forth. Ephesians 2.14 says, He Himself is our peace. Philippians 4.7, And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts. The peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your heart. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Well, we'll pick up here next time as we continue on in learning how to put your shoes on. The shoes of peace. Don't let the devil steal your peace. Know what he's after. We've talked about that, about deception. A deception, a deceiver is like a pickpocket. He'll hit you one place because what he's really after is somewhere else. He's after your peace. He's after your wholeness. He's after your rest. He's after those things because he knows that if he can get you unsettled, then you're going to have trouble standing very long. And what he's after is to get you to sit down and to quit. Because if you sit down, part of Christ's body sits down. And we need you to stand, just like you need us to stand. Imagine if I sat down and quit. Have I ever had opportunities? Oh, yeah. But you know what keeps me going? Two things. I don't want to displease my Lord. And I know what would happen here if I quit. It would open the door for the enemy to come in to this part of the body of Christ. And whatever it is I got to do, whether it's fun or not fun, I cannot quit because I cannot allow the enemy to come into this place. But neither can you. You're just as important as I am. And you may have trouble understanding at this point, but you're just as important as I am because we're all part of the same body. I walk in here tonight and I felt energized by your being here. I walked into prayer last night and felt energized by those that were here for prayer. You don't realize the effect that you have on us, on me and on my wife. We need each other because we're part of the same body. So don't give up your peace, and I won't give up mine.